Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'm Michael. And we're back for our deep dive discussion of Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. That's right. We're still here. We didn't actually go anywhere. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we left and then our dog was brutally murdered and our car was destroyed and we came back. Yeah, it was a real bummer. (laughs) Just when we thought we were out, they just pulled us right back in again. Yeah, fortunately, um, the... Fortunately... Thanks to history's fastest recorded case of Stockholm Syndrome, one of our friends saved us. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk in front of the camera, talk the plot, talk the characters and everything going on with this film, and then we'll move our way back. So I want to talk a little bit about the opener of this film because I think it's like stands as one of the greatest narration openers of a film ever, period. Like the movie itself, it almost has like a samurai feel to the opener, like you know, it's an interesting way of putting it. It's like an old samurai movie telling like this story of this legend of this man mm. and and the world that we're involved in. Like my life fades, my vision dims, all that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, this wasted land. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And we don't even know who the narrator is at this point in time, which is also really cool. And and the reveal of that later is a very awesome reveal. Yeah, you know what? I I genuinely did not see that coming. Can yeah. we, we, it's the spoiler section. We yeah. can just say it, right? Yep. So it turns out that this whole time the narrator was the feral kid. Right. Genuinely surprising. Did not see that coming. And it, it's really, I don't know, there's a lot to think about in, in that sense because there's a lot of story that that means that that adds to this film because it means that the northern tribe did survive they that max's what max did for them mattered like and him reflecting and remembering on this time period in his life and the impact that it had on him as a child and later as an adult as he became the leader of their group like all of that is is really really special and it adds a lot to the character of max it also kind of implies that, like, we're not really getting Max's story. We're getting someone else's interpretation of his story. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like Max is like this, he's become this weird folk hero to the tribe. Right. And we're just getting kind of like a secondhand glimpse of them. Yeah. And his story was passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. Which is really cool. Like, it, there's almost like a, like you said, like folk kind of story to this, like like folklore kind of feel, like yeah, fairy tale vibe. Like, yeah, definitely like a fairy tale kind of thing. Yeah, but... it, it's really cool. And and what I the other thing, like I said before in the other episode, is that the opener with the montage and and recontextualizing the first film and explaining the the direness of this world and and how desolate it is. It it does a really good job of just plopping you into this world with with giving you just enough to go off of but not too much to feel like overboard overburdened or like it like all of that stuff mattered necessarily like it's not like we're we're kind of experiencing the nuclear holocaust it's like it's not like that's like the front and center it's more about like these people trying to survive yeah and it opens like just like fury road it opens like mid chase scene yeah like it just gets right into it yeah and that's actually something that jess partway through this watch actually said and it was actually when we were in the gas town was she was like it's really cool how this film actually or how fury road actually took so many ideas and thoughts from this film and just refined them and like again kind of recontextualize different ideas to fit into into this world and and continue to build on this world yeah that is kind of that's something i wanted to talk to you about that i mentioned earlier like fury road is almost kind of i don't want to say a remake but it's almost like a reimagining of this movie yeah like, like the last 30 40 minutes of this film is a breakneck car chase yeah and, it's fury road yeah and it, it's it's basically like George Miller felt like he could do more after doing that, and so he did with Fury Road, basically. Well, it's funny in the sense that, like you were saying, he felt so constrained budget-wise by Mad Max 1. Right. He made Mad Max 2, and then, you know, 30 years later, he made Mad Max 4, Fury Road, mm-hmm. with even more money. Yeah. So, 
There you go. I, I'll just throw infinite money at George Miller. I'm pretty sure I saw Fury Road in theaters three times, so I kind of did. But... You mentioned that, yeah. <laughs> so let's, as as the human race, let's all see how much money we can give George Miller and see yeah. what he did, comes up with. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. What's really cool about this film is that it also kind of, for this little village that we just kind of happen upon, that Max happens upon, the stakes feel incredibly high very quickly. Yes. Like, we already know right off the bat that Wes and his gang of marauders are very terrible people. And even Max has, you know, this this man who just wants to survive despises them in a sense, right? Uh, or despises Wes. Like, there's definitely, there's definitely animosity between him and Wes. I felt like it was clever to open with a kind of one-on-one thing with Max and Wes because mm-hmm. it kind of makes it... Wes is almost kind of the real main villain of the movie as opposed to Lord Humongous. Right. So Because Wes is just like pure evil whereas Lord Humongous represents an idea and like a, a leader and... Again, like I said, like when he's giving the speech of like if you if you leave this place, we'll let you leave with your life. Like there's no there's no reason for you to stay anymore. We're going to take this. Just walk away. Just walk away. And we we never do find out if he was sincere in that offer or not. Right. But he's at least more coherent than Wes is. Yeah. Especially when his not boyfriend gets his head caved in by a boomerang. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that's real. That's such a great scene. And then the toady as well, losing his fingers <laughs> in the same scene. Yeah, and the toady being kind of okay with it, like he's laughing too. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> that's just like showing how degenerate this group of people has become. That body mutilation doesn't even matter anymore as long as you're still alive. Yeah, I mean, it's. I was thinking this is gonna sound. I was thinking like if civiliz- when civilization collapses, I think that's gonna be my role in the apocalypse. Yes. I'm going to be somebody's toady. Like I'm going to be somebody's hype man. <laughs> like, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does a good job of hyping humongous. Mm-hmm. Um, on the note of humongous, like, like I said, he's one of my favorite villains of all time as well, just because of the imagery of this like massive man. Who's also like very soft spoken and very intellectually spoken. We don't get many details at all about him, and there's, like, hints that, like you said, that he was supposed to be the guy who almost dies in a fiery crash uh, from the first film. Yeah. If you've seen the first film, you know who I'm talking about. Max's partner on the police force. Goose? Yeah, Goose. And so, originally, they were thinking that. They decided not to go with that, but it's really cool because they still added, like, elements of that, like humongous is wearing the hockey mask and we see at one point the camera pans behind him and he's like all scarred and Mm -hmm. and really grotesque and that's why he's wearing the mask like he's got like little wisps of hair coming off the back of his head kind of thing yeah he's mysterious and i like that we don't really get anything no we don't get any background on him but we get like little like glimpses of background of him like the pistol case that he carries around um i actually did some research into that pistol case because it's a really interesting piece of paraphernalia and it's actually that skull and crossbones is actually the death's head design from the nazis um so it's actually like an old nazi weapon which is kind Uh of interesting because the character of Humongous almost speaks with like a Swedish German accent, right? So it's not impossible to think of like him as as maybe a military leader from this past world or something. And you and you kind of start to build like this world. A in little this. mythos. Yeah. By the way, he's got that uh forty four revolver with the scope on it, yeah. just like in Fallout Three. Right. So that's something else Fallout took from these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And apparently, he's so good with it, he can like shoot like an engine with it off he can shoot a truck's engine front with it right so i do have okay i do have one thing to say about the villains uh, specifically wes and lord humongous yep if i do have one criticism of this movie it's that i didn't really care much for the villains i didn't really how do i put this i didn't really find them intimidating enough yeah that makes they're, sense they're like yeah they're just so like i said wes is almost comically evil to a point yeah i felt like i really it was in particular i really wanted more from okay like they have that detail about how his boyfriend gets killed and then he's right motivated for revenge and like they kind of set up that there's sort of like a 
personal almost rivalry between him and Max, but like mm-hmm. it never really I never felt like it amounted to all that much or like I never mm. felt like he was a big enough like there's that moment when like Lord Humongous is giving his big speech and he's just standing there and he just very casually like shoots a rabbit with his wrist launcher. Right. So you're like, oh like, oh man, this guy's bad news. Like look at how tough he is, but I don't know. I just I wanted more from the character. Like I was never as intimidated by him as maybe I wanted to be. Hmm. Especially at the end, um, he's fighting on top of Max's rig. Yeah. And then he kinda like flops over the hood. There's a moment where I was like, Oh, is that it? Like, is he just okay? And then Yeah. He comes back he like comes screaming over the Right, side with later. the kid? You're right, with the kid, and it's like, ah, but like it's still kinda like, ugh, like Right. I guess maybe you say you describe him as comical evil. I found him more comical than evil. Yeah. I didn't really find him as effective. And like I liked Lord Humongous too, but I kind of would have liked to have seen the problem, I think, is that Immortan Joe was such a good villain yeah. that it's kind of hard to, like, take these guys all that seriously. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, the villains and, yeah, like, Immortan Joe and, like, his sons and the, like, warlords he's got with him. Like, yeah. they're so intimidating. The war boys. The war like, boys. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, that's, I'm going to say, this isn't correct chronologically, but it's a tough act f- to follow. Yeah, it's a tough act for me to follow as someone who saw Fury Road first. Yeah, yeah, that is completely fair. Um, and I honestly, I would agree. And we'll talk about our personal reviews and even how this maybe fits into our rating of the Mad Max series because I've seen all of these films multiple times at this point, except for the first one I watched the second time to kind of be ready to talk about it a little bit for this podcast. Okay. And and the fact that that's the only one that I've only seen twice now kind of says something about what I it's feel my about least the first favorite. one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what else do I want to talk about? Oh, I wanted to talk about quickly about the uh tr- them trying to get the rig back into the Northern Tribes fort is like a very chaotic and really cool scene. That's one of those scenes where, like, some of the details really start to pop for this world. And where that's when Jess mentioned that there was a lot of details, like the car mechanic kind of being, like, you know, held up by, like, his his little pulley system. That's kind of using himself as, like, a using himself as a, like, projectile weapon against somebody. Yeah. Well, that's that's in the later scene. Oh, is it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He that's that that's the scene where it's like uh, right before where we get the really funny scene where the leader of the northern tribe is like asking them like how long it's gonna take to get the truck set up and like his uh it's almost like his child basically is yelling back up to him yeah um like he's just like muttering things like thinking to himself and the other guy's yelling and uh and this is one of my favorite lines in the whole movies they're like well how long do you need and he's like 24 hours and he's like you have 12 and he's like we have 12 and the guy's like tell him okay and he's like okay (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah (laughs) that was pretty funny on the flip side of the the bad guys and not necessarily thinking they had enough depth, what did you think about the aesthetic and the the the, the design of all of the bad guys? I liked them, but I'm also kind of struggling to remember them. Okay. And I only saw the movie like two days ago. Yeah, that's so, fair. I mean, you've got like the leather clad, the assless chap guys. The assless chaps. There's like the the guys that almost look like ex-police guys with their like motorcycle kind of helmets and their leather jackets. It's, it's almost like these, this aesthetic has been ripped off so many times that if you just say generic apocalypse thugs, I'm going to be like, ding, like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like if you literally, if you say think Fallout or the Borderlands series, you're probably going to be pretty like close to the Leather, of this mohawks, spikes, yep. fingerless gloves. Yep. The usual. Yep. Yeah. I really like the warrior woman's aesthetic as well. And like the, the, again, the characters, like the, the feral kid, like looking like a literal feral child and like how every, how everyone had their very unique aesthetic. Like the gyro captain looked very unique and had a very unique clothing. Mel Gibson as Max, like looking as this completely like desolate human being wrecked with yeah, like just the one, barely surviving the like one sleeve ripped off yeah he yeah. actually did that to his his costume himself like he actually 
basically tore it to shreds himself uh, to play as rugged as possible the character that he envisioned. Nice. And that's something that cool that George Miller actually promoted on set of the film is like, just come up with your own like background stories. Like think about your character and what led them to this place. And it feels like that at times. It feels like these characters are live characters like especially in the northern tribe it feels like these are these are actual people who are just trying to survive here yeah i really like that kind of that sense of history right yeah and like we don't necessarily need that history it's not that kind of movie no but just the thought that it's kind of there right yeah yeah exactly like somebody like somebody thought about it before the scene started or like there's that big scene where like um the northern tribe leader and max have that big kind of like confrontation and the northern tribe leader says basically says like oh like what happened to you out there like did you lose somebody he's like he says like basically says like big deal we've all lost somebody right Right. like we're all trapped in this ruined world it's kind of like yeah that's right like yeah and max is just like more damaged like he just refused to move on and that's something that is really interesting throughout the mad max series is that the character of max as time goes on becomes less and less of a human being essentially like the third the or fury road like he basically doesn't speak for the first half of the film and just kind of grunts for most of it yeah the first half of that movie in particular he's like a wild animal yeah exactly even in this movie it's i liked the little detail of him eating dog food yeah like he's just he doesn't talk. He's just eating dog food. It's just, it's whatever. Like Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's, I really like this film as well because he's given the opportunity to stand and fight the first time, right? Like they're like, oh, we need you. You've got to drive the rig for us. And he decides to leave with the gas and, and just do his own thing because he's not ready to rejoin any sort of society to regain any humanity. And that choice actually costs him everything. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And at that point in time, he decides to get the rig and come back and 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 drive the rig for everyone. You know what? I do have another complaint, big complaint. And Ooh. it's at the end of the second act, they want Max to drive this oil rig right. out of the you know, away from Lord Humongous and this oil rig. Mm-hmm. And um he refuses. And it's kinda like Han Solo like refusing to join the Death Star run. Right. Because, like, as you're kind of like, okay, he doesn't want to do it, but, like, you know he's going to change his mind, right? Right. But he doesn't really change his mind. He just drives away. But then he gets attacked by Lord Humongous, and his car blows up, and his dog gets shot, and the gyrocopter guy ends up rescuing him. Right. And then he gets brought back to the oil rig, and then he decides he's going to drive it. Yeah. I just have a hard time understanding, like, how did you go from, I'm not doing this to, okay, I'll do it, so... Vengeance? Even vengeance for what? Like the car or his dog? The dog, maybe. I just both. I felt like his like the car is really his one of his last connections to the old world. I guess so. And that's yeah. and it's kind of that's kind of hammered home a few times throughout the film that like this car this is the only one left in the world. Like the interceptor is is a massively important symbol to the film series and the destruction of the interceptor is Max's like last break from from any everything and anything that he ever loved. It was a little unclear to me what his motivations were. Yeah, that and that's fair. I was just like, "Oh, okay." And like I don't mind the detail of him like just deciding not to and then having to be rescued. But, like, I don't know, even if it was maybe, like, maybe this would have been cheesy, but, like, if there was maybe some kind of thing, or just one small moment afterwards where he's like, uh, like, maybe, maybe I do owe you guys, maybe I should help you guys, or, like, maybe I shouldn't be alone anymore, blah, 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 blah. I know that that would have been, like, I mean, I'm sure they would have done it better than what I'm just spitballing right now, but, like, it's kind of like... Remember how when we did The Godfather, I complained that I thought Michael Corleone's character was a little vague at times? Right. I'm just like, I don't really get the guy. I kind of felt like that with Max at the end of the movie, where I'm like, what made you change your mind, buddy? Like, you know? And I get it. Like, maybe it was gratitude. Maybe it was vengeance. Just, even if it had just been one or two lines, I would have been like, okay, like, that's all I wanted. Like, yeah, I believe you now. (laughs) Well, like, in, in Fury Road, it's very believable. Like, he has... He goes his separate ways with Furiosa. He has another PTSD episode. And then he catches up with them. He comes up with the plan of, like, let's go back. And, right. like, 
you believe at this point that he does kind of care despite himself. Right. Whereas in this movie, I'm just kind of like... Yeah, there's not as much time focused on, like, why would Max care? And this, yeah. and this film does, at a point to its detriment, make Max an uncaring, unhuman person at this point. And I guess that's the point, is that yeah. he's kind of... You know, he's the classic gunslinger, grizzled antihero who's like, you know, hey, I'm just here for the gas. Like, come right. on. But, like, I don't know. It, I think it would have also just been easy for, like, something for him to decide to just do it on his own. I don't know. I just felt like his motivation was a little vague at the end. Because, like I said, in Fury Road, I never questioned his motivations. Right. Like, when he decides to help him, like, yeah, of course. Yep. But I guess it's maybe just, um, this isn't really a detriment, but, like, there isn't really much character work in this movie. No. Like, and, all the characters... that's, like, not really the point of the film either, right? Like, this is a film about about a feeling that it's trying to pull from you, about, like, a world at, at the... The bitter end. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I think maybe with Fury Road, there was maybe a little more character work where I was oh, yeah. just kind of like, oh, okay, like, I get it. Like, I get, like, like Nux and the redhead lady their little relationship or like you know furioso and max like you kind of like okay like you know there's not a lot but there's just enough that i get it right right with this movie i'm just like eh, like you know i wouldn't say i care too too much about like all the characters are entertaining but i wouldn't say like I feel like I, I don't think I know them any of them all that well yeah that's which and is that's again that's not the type of movie he was trying to do but like at the end when Max is like, I'll drive the oil rig. I'm like, okay, like what changed your mind, buddy? Like, is that the concussion talking? Like, (laughs) so anyways, I just ragged on this movie for a while, but I still, I still, I still liked it quite a lot. Maybe there's a parallel universe where Max, there's a cut of this movie where Max just drives off and he's not in the third act. The third act is just the other people dying without him. Yeah. And it turns no, it turns out the gyro captain copter was the the gyrocopter guy was the uh true hero the whole time. What a great guy. I really liked what they did with him, how like he's set up as like kind of this foil or like kind of like a partner to Max, but mm-hmm. then like he kind of gets like forgotten about for part of the movie. Yeah. And then he comes back, but like I laughed out loud that part where Max is he's lugging that uh oil over his back mm-hmm. and then he comes across the gyro captain who he basically just forgot about yeah and then the next scene <laughs> is the gyro captain carrying the oil for him yeah <laughs> like, he's forced him to carry yeah. it back to their helicopter yeah yeah, yeah. and then but we the, get no it, it's my steak i get to eat him yeah <laughs> i trained him i get to eat him right and then it turns out that like the shotgun he was threatening him with was empty the whole time yeah and the gyro captain's like offended by it yeah yeah <laughs> so and then, despite all that, he goes out of his way to rescue Max. Mm-hmm. So, like, and he still has some humanity left in him. I think he also saw the value of Max into this community. Like, and, that, and that's really cool that before the seed, just said at some point, like, there's it's really cool the found family element to this film. Like, this community does feel like a family. Like, there's several moments where you know, like, people grieve for a death or grieve for somebody or or like you know share a moment together and there's these little moments throughout this film that really solidify this community together yeah what i was gonna say is that it all culminates in like the gyro captain's girl telling him like they're he basically tries to sneak off with her in the night and she's like has second thoughts and says like i i can't leave these people these are my family like i'm i'm gonna live or die with them Right, and then he decides to help out. Yeah. And by the way, like I respect anyone who's willing to throw a snake at an enemy during, <laughs> during a fight scene. Like, <laughs> yeah, just uh, like, <laughs> yeah. One of the one of the under most underrated characters of cinema is the gyro captain. Yeah, and I guess the same actor plays a completely different character in the next movie. Really, I didn't that's see what that. I, I that's what I read. Cool. Just owing to like the anthology nature of it, but yeah, it, that comes back around as well because um the toe cutter from Mad Max One is uh Immortan Joe. Joe. Oh, is he? Yep. I did not know that. Yep. Oh, you know what? I thought it was Lord Humongous who was Immortan no. Joe. I knew no. one of the villains came back to play. Yeah. Immortan Joe. That's tight. 
Yeah, it, it's cool. I like that. I like that George Miller has like you know his people. It's like roster of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I need you to play. Thirty years later, I'm gonna need you to play another villain. <laughs> well, and the other thing too is like these are Australian films. Like these are not Hollywood films. They're they're backed by Australia. Like these are some of the most important of that country's filmography, and there's a lot of passion behind that. There's a lot of like you know what's the word I'm looking for? Like like national pride? Yeah, almost. there's pride behind this film and, and yeah. the characters and the actors who take part in these films. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I want to talk to some of the other like little world building things that kind of are thrown throughout the film. Like there's like a little moment where Max has camouflaged his car. I thought that was really neat. Oh, um, yeah. People being tied alive to the front of cars to be used as like human shields or like, you know, just basically meat shields if you crash or something like that. Like that's a, a something that this film originated and is very like used frequently, I would say now. Like it, it's it's imagery that sticks with you when there's two people strapped to the front of the car, like screaming like. Yeah, <laughs> there, there are stuff that things that you see in this movie. That are going to, like, bounce around your head for the next week or two. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. I've seen Uh, this movie, I don't know, I've probably seen this movie 12 times already, and the last 40 minutes always get me. Like, I'm always edge of my seat, like, silent, like, unblinking to see how the movie's going to end, even though I know how the movie's going to end. I was thinking this, and I'm just, your dog running into the room, uh, just reminding me of this. I thought it was clever from a storytelling perspective to give Max a dog. Yeah, because it's like it's a constant little reminder that like this guy is capable of empathy. Yeah, like he's not he is capable of connection. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Also, how funny is it? The first scene where he meets the gyro captain and like they're slowly trying to wit each other. Right. And Max just opens the door of his car and the dog tackles him. No, the gyro captain. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. The dog tackles him because he's like booby trapped his car, which is such an ingenious like plot device because it comes back later right Mm -hmm. when they they accidentally blow up the car trying to steal his gas and that saves his max's life Mm -hmm. i thought having him have a dog was a really nice touch right so that one scene where he's like first in the like compound with the family and they're like get your dog out of here he just picks up the dog and walks away (laughs) (laughs) and the dog's just like kind of like being a dog it's pretty funny but uh yeah it's a shame the dog had to die though but hey Again, it, it was the that was the motivational factor that you missed apparently. I guess so, but you know it's funny. Like you see the dog barking at a bad guy, you see the bad guy lift his gun and shoot, and then you hear the yelp. Yep. Off screen, and then you never see the dog again. That was by choice. Like uh, George Miller thought that it was more tasteful to not really show that, and he thought it was more impactful to sometimes know the violence but not see the violence yeah and i agree it's just you don't even see the dog's body afterwards right Uh, but you know what i think that was maybe a tasteful decision yeah because i I think that's i think that's but max harder for people max doesn't even say they killed my dog yeah but max says like 16 lines yeah i know but it's just to me it was like he shot the dog out of the movie (laughs) like yeah he's just out of the movie now well and that that's somewhat like the point of the movie in some sense is that like the movie is about like the movie is carried in some sense by the reactions and and the expressions and the f- emotions of the the characters not necessarily the dialogue choices because there's yeah. even times where like the uh score of the film kind of overwhelms everything happening and i really hate that in some films and in this film it felt like the correct decision almost and you know what i'm going to segue into effects and filming here actually because i think this is a really good part to do that when George Miller was editing this film, he actually edited it in silence. Like he did not have any audio playing while he uh, he had it muted while he was editing because he wanted to make this a film like a silent film almost with like some dialogue and a score and and make it more about the feeling of the film than about the the story. Interesting. So like he wanted to see if the visuals alone could tell the story. Yeah, huh. exactly. Interesting. Which is, yeah, which is a really cool decision that like like you know how many directors are able to pull that off right uh these days not many yeah the story of mad max 2 itself is actually based on a few different things like the 
Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces novel is one of the basis is as well as the work of Carl Jung. Um, Young. Young? Yeah. Jungian? Yeah, Jungian. Um, yeah, so so there's some psychiatry ideas, like probably some id stuff or something. I'm, I'm not too I'm not, read up. I'm not like, super familiar with Carl Jung either. Yeah, um, no, as well you... as the films of Akira Kurosawa. Um, I see so, it. Yeah, all of the samurai kind the of The samurai stars. and Western influences really go yeah. hand in hand. With yeah, we're going to have to watch another samurai movie again this year with you this time. Um, Definitely. Because Jason and I really, really liked when we watched Harakiri. Yeah, I'd be down. Yeah, there. We'll, we'll do a maybe we'll do a Kurosawa because we did Kobayashi last time. That's right. I wasn't involved at that point. Yeah, with the podcast. Um, there's also another film that this story is heavily influenced by, and it's a 1953 film called Shane. Um, and so the uh. yeah, I believe it's a western. The plot of that film is that a lone stranger saves a town. Basically, he's just like one of those lone rangers who just wanders in the town, has no connection yeah. to anybody, just saves them. And actually, the feral kid is kind of the nod there because there's a character similar. There's a feral child in that movie? I don't know if feral is the right term, but like somebody who's of similar there's importance a, to the film. Sure, okay. There is a child in the movie. Let's go, let's put it that way. Yeah. In terms of like the opening scene of this film, so the opening scene after we get the narration and, and kind of the details of where this world is and where we're being dropped at is of Max and, and Wes and the car chase at that point. What actually, what was originally shot was Max driving past a farm and Wes and the rest of the marauders were ransacking and raping people and there was dead people hanging from trees. Wes sees this car driving by and goes, gas let's go get it and that's how the film starts and instead they decided to cut all of that and just plunk us right in the middle of the action and i think smart. that was the right way to do it that's really smart yeah in terms of like the film itself like as a whole the original cut of the film is much more bloody and violent or was more much much more bloody, bloody and violent but they actually had to cut a lot of that those parts down because of the australian censors at the time and all of those scenes and sequences are were completely cut and have were never kept and th- there's lost no the version. Time. They're lost of time. We'll Damn. never see the the hard R version of this the film. The hard R. Well, if we give George Miller enough money, maybe can... maybe in the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. You know, I don't know that we necessarily needed it because this film is pretty depraved uh, at, at points. Like this is this is a very aggressive film. Yeah, the scene where the feral child like kills a dude with a boomerang yeah i was surprisingly like i was surprised by how i was like oh like that guy's dead like well i mean there's the rape scene like, like also you clearly that, yeah. see like the marauders basically tear this woman apart that's another scene where like off topic a little but like talk about what an anti-hero max is like this is another scene where i'm like i was watching i'm like oh is it gonna be like some kind of a moral thing where like he can either rescue her or he can at the time i was thinking like oh so is it like he's either he can either rescue her or he can like get the jump on those guys and then he's gonna rescue her and that's how the movie's gonna show us that max is actually a good guy no he does nothing like he just watches no like he's he's an animal like he's an opportunist like he Mm -hmm. he looks for he goes down there afterwards and to look for if anybody's alive and the guy's alive there so he brings him back so that he can trade him for fuel yeah, really. And then the guy's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. He's like, I'm just, he's like, just here for the gas, I'm just here for the gas buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The car, the interceptor. After the original film, they actually destroyed all the cars from the original film. Aww. However, somebody managed to stop the interceptor from being destroyed. And they actually used the original from the first film for this one, which oh, is really no cool. Way. Did yeah. they actually blow it up at the end of the movie? No, but the original Interceptor does not exist anymore. Something did happen to it. Sad. Yeah. In terms of the stunts, we already gave a nod in the first episode to the just incredible performances by all of the stuntmen and women in this film. There were some actually legitimately serious stunts that happened or serious accidents. Like, for example, and and if you've seen this film, like you'll know exactly what I mean. Where one of at one point, one of the motorcycle drivers like hits a car and goes flying over the car. He actually broke both his legs in that because he was actually supposed to hit the car and drive over it and instead because of the destruction all the chaos he actually just hit the car and literally like 
flew over it. And if you watch that scene and pay very close attention, one of his legs is already broken at that point and it's oh, jutting gross. out. It's like, yeah. Can you imagine like breaking your legs, but like having it on film forever? Yeah. Like so they, now you can rewatch it. For they all... just decided to like keep it because it was such a wild stunt, right? Like at that point, like why not? Hey, your your legs are already broken. He lived. He yeah. lived. <laughs> yeah. um, Don't be such a baby. And the, the tank roller stunt to conclude the film, that was actually so dangerous that the driver was, wasn't was allowed to eat any food 12 hours before it just because they thought they were going to have to send him to the emergency room for surgery right after. Wow. Can you imagine? Like, hey, man, we're pretty sure you're going to get grievously hurt. So yeah. <laughs> It was <laughs> and wild. And he still showed up for work the next day. Yeah. Did he get hurt or did he do okay? Oh, uh, they didn't say much about that. I don't think he would have gotten he got very injured in that because they, I think they would have said more about it, but they just like, they were very prepared for him to be seriously injured by it. Wow. I think I read somewhere that like in making Fury Road, George Miller was like him and the stunt guy were like extremely dedicated to making sure no one got hurt. Yeah. And it's probably because of experiences making movies like this. Oh, easily for yeah. sure. Which again, it's another reason why Fury Road is such a miracle because I don't think anybody got hurt making that movie. Yeah, I honestly I haven't read as much into the details of Fury Road as as you would expect for someone who thinks it's one of the greatest movies. Yeah, ever for made. someone who loves it as much as you do. Yeah, witness me. But uh, <laughs> they're actually one of the other cars that uh, the leader of the Northern Tribe drives was actually used in the third movie though um, okay so it, there's some carryover in some of the vehicles there they got to keep they did destroy ended up destroying a lot of them after the film but there Aww. was a couple that got kept around that's pretty cool uh, what uh, other like behind the scenes kind of thing that happened and this is kind of almost a nod to james cameron but uh george miller created the character of the gyro captain so that the studio would pay for a helicopter so that he could shoot like aerial scenes in the film <laughs> um, so it, it's very like you know in james cameron vibes of like you know i gotta take original shots of the titanic so that he could go down and like see the titanic in person sometimes you gotta <laughs> convince your boss to give you money like, yeah exactly that's so, pretty fucking funny yeah so they basically like he literally was convinced them by the creation of the gyro captain and honestly like i said gyro captain one of the most underrated characters of film ever people don't talk about him enough he's almost like i said this before like i don't remember if it was earlier in this episode the last episode like he almost has more character development than max does yeah like he's actually He's almost kind of the hero of the story. <laughs> well, not really, but he's uh, up there. The scene where Max leaves the compound with his car to like leave the first time. Did you notice that like the shot looked a little funny? Like when the cars start chasing after him? No. So it's something that I noticed on this watch. And it was actually because George Miller dropped in the editing room, dropped it down to 12 frames per second so that the cars would move faster. Okay, frame. yeah, yeah, yeah. I did notice. I w there was that one shot where I was like, I'm pretty sure this is sped up. Yeah. Like, I don't think it, they're it actually moving quite, that fast. Yeah, it didn't quite work. Um, And it's because they couldn't actually drive the cars that fast in the desert. Okay. They obviously were able to speed them up for the, the chase scene later when they were on the actual road, but... Yeah, I did notice... I did notice some like the editor hit the fast forward button. Yeah, right that's now. one of my like only minor complaints. Is it just it, for me? It stuck out on this watch, and I think I noticed it previously. But yeah, I was like, ah, you know, I probably I will probably would have been fine if they were driving like a little slow out, like to get going. Kind yeah, of thing, right? I don't know that. Well, I guess maybe pacing wise, yeah. I, it is from a storytelling perspective. It is interesting. Max is like, I'm just gonna leave with my gas and it's like well we're surrounded by marauders where are you gonna go <laughs> yeah. where are you gonna go buddy <laughs> yeah. yeah but uh well he learned that lesson the hard way yeah so. for sure wes was not gonna let that slide he certainly was not i did like that the toady was apparently i thought the toady was just like uh lord humongous's like hype man right. no he's actually part of the band oh yeah yeah <laughs> i was kind of surprised by that that's um, pretty funny the Ayatollah of rock and roller. Yeah. Uh, I love the characters. I love the names. I, I love this movie. I really do love this movie. Um, Let's talk score quickly. So Brian May scored this. This is what he's most known for, actually, is scoring the first two Mad Max film. It's a really big orchestral score. It's definitely inspired by previous Western films and in, in the type of score that it is and the, its sound. 
Uh, it's it's really good at kind of carrying you through the action of the film. I really enjoy this one. It it's not necessarily something that you know plays in the back of my head like like something like The Godfather does. But yeah, I I I mean this isn't really saying much because you know that I'm basically deaf when it comes to music, but like yeah. I can't remember the score to save my life. Yeah, it, it it is a good score though overall for the film. I I do enjoy it. So a look back at the time, just kind of filling you in on like a little detail that I thought was interesting is these films come a few years after the 1973 oil crisis, which people thought were going to be the end times then. And what's really interesting is this, this film series also does kind of parallel our world in a way in that like oil does kind of and gas really makes the world go round and kind of when there's shortages like like when russia invaded ukraine there was genuine concern over like there being enough gas in europe and stuff like that and it just like it's a film like this that kind of just reminds you of like how precarious things are yeah i liked the idea that it's this um it's this apocalypse and it's everything's motivated by this one thing. Yeah. We all need this one thing really badly. So But like it's not unrealistic though. No, not even a little. Actually shit, give us like two or three or five years and this might be our lives. Mm-hmm. So The legacy of this film. So we've already talked about games like Fallout and Borderlands, how they're heavily inspired by this. There's also the game Twisted Metal and Rage, which I have a friend who's a big fan of the game Rage. Um, really the one guy who's yeah. a huge rage fan the, okay. a lot of a lot of like inspirations to video <laughs> games and video game series like you've already mentioned like some of the aesthetics like the clothing the the weapons everything like really fits in especially like fallout 3 yeah especially fallout 3 Fallout, just fallout new vegas fallout in general yeah there's also a mad max game that came out around 2015 i own it have played it really loved it uh, okay it's a ton of fun actually if you had a working PlayStation, maybe I'd let you borrow it. Listeners, for those of you not in the know, my roommate played my PlayStation during a thunderstorm <laughs> and it basically melted. So if, you, uh, if you'd like to support uh, Vintage Cinema Rewind by sending me a new PlayStation. <laughs> Don't send him a new PlayStation. Do it. Just... Maybe just subscribe to this channel and tell your friends so that we can. Okay, in a couple of years, when we start a PlayStation, one of it will be like if we start have, a PlayStation. What we? Oh man, <laughs> am I already drunk? Maybe in a couple of years when we start our Patreon. Yeah, maybe one of our monthly tiers will be like four hundred dollars a month. We'll get Michael a new PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> Support yes. Michael's PlayStation. Yeah, basically. If you're wondering what the Interceptor is based off of, it's a 1974 Ford Falcon. It was originally like a police car for the Victoria Police, and it's got a V8 engine in it. It's a pretty sick car, honestly. It looks pretty... It's a very iconic-looking car, too. Yeah, and it was only made in Australia, that particular model of Ford, so... The more you know. The directors who were heavily inspired by this film, this film series, include Guillermo del Toro, David Fincher, Robert, Rod- Robert Rodriguez, Zack Snyder, and obviously James Cameron as well. Like, I just want to mention here quickly, like, the Terminator and Terminator 2 series movies are heavily inspired by this in terms of, like, some of the leather <laughs> and some of the aesthetics of the films, the action... John Connor named his dog Max after the Mad Max movie series. Really? That's a homage to the films. Okay, not bad. And Kojima, the video game director, also heavily inspired by Mad Max in his film series. Mid-mix. Interesting. The the other film, and we haven't done this on this podcast at some point, and I'm waiting, I haven't seen it yet myself, is the film Waterworld, the critically and commercially oh, yeah. panned but from all accounts what i've heard that it's not completely terrible what a ringing film. endorsement yeah like, it's not no a- <laughs> one of my one of my cousins who i do respect his movie choices said that he did legitimately enjoy Waterworld, and i'm waiting for us to do it on the podcast because i really want my first impression to be for this pod okay we'll do it at some point i'm down to watch Waterworld at some point it's, i mean it's like now it's infamous for being famously one of the biggest flops of all time yeah right? exactly yeah. so we'll, we'll definitely do it at some kevin costner is a pretty good actor i liked him in better call saul yeah i watched um dances with wolves in the last six months and i really really enjoyed it 
Oh, really? Yeah. He's in Yellowstone, too. And, yeah. Uh, Very big film or, or TV series right now. Yeah, and apparently he's pretty good. Also, other, like, stuff that uh, kind of comes from the legacy of this film. So, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the sequel to this. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to it. Maybe we will someday on this podcast. It's definitely not anywhere near the top of the list of films that we're going to probably check out. But... This film was intended to be the conclusion of the Mad Max story, and that's kind of why, like, the it narration sure feels plays. like a conclusion, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like the yeah. narration plays out like, and and that's the last we ever saw of him. Yeah, the legend of the wastes. But George Miller wanted to do like a post-apocalyptic Lord of the Flies film, and then was like, "Hey, I've already gotten in for this. Let's just yeah. make him another Mad Max movie." Woo! And then. Fury Road, there's a a big online speculation about who Tom Hardy's character is really in the film series. I think I've heard this theory. Yeah, the theory goes that the feral kid actually grows up to become Max in the Fury Road series, but George Miller has confirmed that Max is the same Max of the original series. So that one has been shot down. It's a really cool theory. I do enjoy it. I think that's kind of a dumb theory. I don't uh. mind it, but it doesn't quite fit. After watching Mad Max 2 over again, it doesn't fit the story of the feral kid and him going off and, and you know, living out the rest yeah. of his life. So, Because he specifically says, then I became the leader of the exactly. tribe. And it's exactly. like, okay, but yeah, I don't it's know. It's one of those things where people probably just misremembered the second one, right? I also just feel like, and I might have said something similar to this earlier, like, it doesn't really matter who Max is. Yeah. Like the chrono- the continu- It's like the Batman. He's like the Batman. Or it just doesn't like, matter who he is. Maybe in the sense that like the continuity between these movies, I don't think it really matters. Yes. It's just it's Max. Like just deal with it. Yeah. It's Max. Enjoy like, it. Yeah. Have fun. Just have a good time. Yeah. Uh, uh personal reviews on the partner factor. So this is one of my all time favorite movies, period. Um I've probably seen it a dozen times. So Jess has watched this with me multiple times as well, and this time she actually chose to kind of just play around in her iPad while we watched it. Classic um, Jess. Instead of watching this one fully. But I will say that about halfway through the film, she kind of stopped doing that and and started just fully watching the movie and like completely was invested in the last 40-minute car chase anyway mm-hmm. because it's one of the greatest car chase scenes of all time in movies. Although I have watched some really good car chase films lately. Have you? Yeah. Uh, there's one that's a movie that I've talked to you off camera and it might end up in my top five of the year so i'll save that for later okay but anyway it's a really really great film it's a classic film of the action genre and the 80s it's so important to movie history and to pop culture in general that it's absolutely worth your time in my opinion and let's hear your review okay so no partner factor i watched it alone um (laughs) yeah i liked it quite a lot despite how much i ragged on it earlier like (laughs) actually i was thinking like i don't know if i like which one i like more this one or fury road Mm -hmm. i feel like fury road is probably technically the better movie yeah objectively i might like this one a little bit more this one has a lot of character a lot of charm yeah yeah which isn't to say that fury road doesn't it's just this one has a very kind of like a very kind of like fairy tale classic western like and you're yeah, a big western, western guy i am a big western guy and this is basically a western on wheels so right. and that i was actually going to ask you that like where this would rank in with your mad max like filmography i'm going to be honest mad max fury road is at any given time 1 through 3 in my top uh, favorite movies of all time like it, it legitimately is in my opinion one of the greatest masterpieces in film ever made just just for the pure like fact that it was ever even made like i'll just like read like a random fact like i was reading i was reading this last week that the the guitar guy in mad max his guitar weighed over 300 pounds because it had the whole pyrotechnics oh my god that's awesome yeah (laughs) (laughs) so like he could like press buttons to like shoot flames out and stuff even just the image of like you know, a guitar guy shooting flames out of his guitar. like While on the road, like he's on this like massive yeah. audio rig kind of thing. Like, like how, ca- how can you not love that, you yeah, know? exactly, exactly. And so, and so a film that like I went and saw three times in theaters, it's this film is, again, this is one of my favorite films of all time. It probably, Mad Max 2 probably fits in my top 20, but Fury Road hold, holds a very special place in my heart. 
Yeah, you know what? I'm going to have to watch Fury Road again, like, soon, while this movie is still fresh in my mind. Yeah. To give a definitive answer one way or the other. Yeah, that's completely fair. And, like, I think it also speaks to how much you like this film as well, that your Mad Max Fury Road was in your top five list last year. That's right. And you're saying that you might like Mad Max 2 better than Fury Road. Yeah. Well, and again, it's kind of like what your fiancé was saying. Like, it's... um... Fury Road is almost kind of, it's almost, it's kind of funny how George Miller just keeps like, he's got this idea for this perfect Mad Max movie in his head and he just keeps like, he right. just keeps wheeling out these prototypes. Like, I think I got closer this time. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, it's like the reverse George Lucas. Yeah. He just keeps getting better, not, not worse. So again, send me a PlayStation if you have one and then let's all give George Miller all our money and let's see what he does with it. Yeah, true. Although he's got to be quite he, up there. Oh, uh, he's point. in his seventies. Yeah, I think he's probably just going to retire. Well, he's got Furiosa coming out next year. So oh, exciting! Right. Look forward to Furiosa. Okay, I'm pumped about it. Do you realize that 2015 was like eight years ago now? Yeah, it's too long. I don't want to be reminded about that. Well, I just reminded you. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. I wish you didn't, Michael. We were both still at university. Yeah, much um, younger, and you. Oh, you were still dating Jess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. There you go. Nice. Upcoming. We're we're coming up on May. Surprisingly, it's coming on us quick. We're gonna do a director's month for May, and I think we're doing Scorsese. This is we've kind of been in discussion, maybe more Jason and I than than you and I about this. But okay. Martin Scorsese has a very hyped mo- movie coming out later this year called killers of the flower moon starring leonardo dicaprio and it's based on a true story and a novel that it's supposed to be like four hours long too right yeah yeah it's legit like a four hour epic jesus Um, and i think we're gonna revisit some of scorsese's films and what's really interesting this year is we've already done one of the greatest gangster movies of all time the godfather that's right one of scorsese's in my opinion probably scorsese's best film is Goodfellas, which is another gangster film. So I don't think we're going to cover Goodfellas this time on on the pod. I think we'll have to save that for another year. Haven't you already done Goodfellas? No, we haven't done Goodfellas yet. I just Uh, told you to watch it once because I loved it. Oh, that's right. And then me and my roommate watched it. Yeah, and you loved it. I did love it. Didn't I? It's one of of the greatest movies of all time. But um, yeah, like Scorsese has a really deep and rich filmography and i've probably only seen half of it and mostly the latter half as well so it's kind of crazy to think that guy how long that guy's been been making films for like 50 years yeah so we've got a lot to draw on because he he puts out a movie once every like two three years now and i think he was making like a movie a year almost at one point yeah he's the elder statesman of movies yeah like we have a lot of films to pick from i know that on our uh, viewers choice episode somebody had recommended cape fear so that one's definitely in in my mind under consideration for a film that we might have you do. seen the irishman yet no i haven't seen the irishman and the irishman my i've seen well that's a new movie so oh yeah that's right so, somewhat outside i forgot of the scope, i forgot what we do here on our podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'm not i'm not against doing new films every once in a while but they have to be like you know there has to be a good reason there has to be a good reason and and maybe this is close enough but I almost would want to do like, I don't know. The Wolf of Wall Street is is such a good movie. I forgot he did that one too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Scorsese, man, he's like one of the greats. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um. Jesus. So yeah, if you have any recommendations for any either of our Scorsese movies, we've got two to pick from in May. Let us know in the comments. Yeah. The sound off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why I was waiting for you to say something. I don't know. I, I felt You also the, didn't know why? I felt the pressure immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, but, it's my turn to say something. <laughs> All right. I think that's it then. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye. My turn to say something. <laughs>